0: So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Jason Rumney, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Intellitech. Over the last nine years, he has been building a recruitment business where he has put the culture first. He's now been operating a fully remote model, which is really interesting to dig into, And we also really dug deep into his journey in building a successful business and brand over in the States. Obviously, I've been sitting down with a number of recruiters or recruitment businesses that have uh, scaled and built traction in. America is a real trend right now, and I'm looking to try and give all of you as much insight into doing that as I can. And Jason was a great person to sit down with. He's been doing this for some time, and uh, we really uh, got into how to make it successful, the different nuances and challenges to expect in the American market, how he's navigated them, what he would do differently knowing what he knows now, and so much more. Enjoy the episode. Jason, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank how are you doing?
0: Good. It's been a little while. I haven't been the best at get, making this happen. So <laughs> I'm excited it's happening now. Obviously for everyone listening, why I was really, really keen and excited to, to get you booked in and, and have this conversation with you was, as I'm sure you've obviously really picked up on and, and seen, there's definitely a real trend right now in terms of a lot of UK-based companies expanding, growing, going over to the States. Mm-hmm. And obviously in preparation for this, you told me that you actually set up your US entity in 2014. So mm-hmm. a bit before yeah. maybe the ma- major trend of the uh, UK recruitment company. So really excited to to dig into yeah the journey over the last nine years with your, your own recruitment business and have a real focus on the American uh, part of that journey. I guess where we always like to start is, is the million dollar, million pound question, which I'm sure you've thought a lot about since growing and hiring for your own business so i'd love to hear your take on what you believe sort of makes up a, a highly successful modern day recruiter the characteristics the traits that you feel they may share in common
1: cool so thanks for having me on first of all i think just on that question specifically i think i've seen over the years from myself kind of joining uh an ex 3 uh, kind of business owner at it talent where most of it used to be kind of all about money. People that were money hungry would be great at recruitment. I think over the years, I've started to see more kind of introverts and extroverts that can given the right training and time, can actually work really well in recruitment. So I think some some kind of words that I'd say that come to mind are people that are disciplined, people with a 360 mindset, people that like to network, but also people who have a passion for the markets that they're actually in, are people that I've seen do really well and are really successful in industry.
0: 360 mindset, tell me about that. What, what do you mean by that?
1: So it's just someone that's always looking for new business, doesn't matter where they are, can be on the train, can be at Different events can be with family, can be with friends, but just having that kind of always looking to network because <laughs> sometimes the best connections we have are with friends and family, and we actually don't go out to them as, as often as we maybe should do.
0: Strangest environment that you picked up a client then? I have to ask you that. I'm sorry. You started with like train. Any story there out of interest? I, I had to ask.
1: Um... That's going back a bit. Most of it is probably probably when I'm drunk at a club sometimes. I, really? I, I used to always carry, yeah. I used to always have... Um, oh, business cards. Kind of my business cards Classic. with me. Yeah, exactly. Old school way of doing it. Um, so yeah, I, I I used to kind of always carry them around and most likely picked up. Actually, one of our biggest clients was from someone that was at an event and they were outside in the smoking area and just happened to... Really? To talk to someone and get connected. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I had to ask that with with, with what you good. you said that. What I was gonna say. So I guess before we go into the entrepreneurial journey, just always like to ask this because so many people fall into industry. I think way more people should be choosing the industry, and and is a big part of why I started this podcast. So I'd love to just just hear your take on like what a career and a long time in recruitment has given you, your life professionally, personally. What what has it given you that maybe you least expected?
1: Well, I guess I I kind of expected grey hairs and and, and almost being bored (laughs) from it, but I guess that's probably most people. I think the attraction to recruitment, I think most people kind of, well, I I certainly kind of fell into recruitment like most. Uh, It's not something that I was looking to do uh, during university, but I think it definitely has opened my eyes and ears to being able to travel the world in terms of what we do and um, just starting from a junior recruiter into eventually kind of running my own company. So I think with that has kind of lots of challenges. And I think the the fact that the industry is so fast paced, that there's so much to offer uh, the fact that you can kind of go from having zero experience to two to three years experience of being able to, be approached, would be headhunted by companies in a different com- uh, country, a different continent. You can't really get that with most other industries. Usually, you have to wait for someone to come knocking at your doors and have at least five to ten years of experience. But I think the the, the yeah the incredible thing about recruitment is you can kind of yeah go from one to the next very quickly. Um, all about hard work usually.
0: Let's go into this entrepreneurial journey of yours then. So I'm gonna just start by just framing it up for people and then please, please correct me or just just let me know if I've missed something or whatever. But I think with these types of things, it always helps just give people a bit of context. So in terms of like where, where you are today, uh, I think obviously the, the number that I put down is like, yeah, you're like 46, 47 people in terms of headcount wise, right? Yes. Um, and I think obviously you've been on this trajectory of growth, obviously during and, and post-COVID as what I got down here is like pre-COVID, you're around the sort of 20 head Headcount Mark. Yep. So obviously founded, were you the solo founder of your criminal business?
1: Yeah, I was the solo founder and brought in a business partner who actually was my accountant and actually a close friend who's non-recruitment really? focused. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he comes more from an ops kind of legal finance sector and he was going to sell his company. We were always planning on doing something, but he was going to sell his last company that he was CEO of pending the Brexit result. And after that didn't go through, he was like, okay, now's a good time to join. Um, it was mainly kind of when I moved across from the UK to the US, which was yeah, that's interesting. August 2015. Uh, 2015 but yeah, yeah, ever since that kind of time, we, we kind of work like chalk and cheese. And yeah, it works really well.
0: So when did you start the company? 2013. 2013, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, founded the business 2013. Like you said, you then actually moved to the, the States in 2015. Mm-hmm. right yeah uh, specifically la so that that's a good milestone there and then obviously in terms of like the words that you're recruiting obviously what i've got down here we've got tech engineering go to market team data science analytics and then obviously you've got another brand that you recently invested in renewable uh, energy and then what i also jotted down here is obviously in terms of like the type of business that you do but you don't just do contingent recruitment You've got people that do free 60 recruitment, but yeah, you've got RPO, you've got different solutions that you obviously offer to your clients and your customers. So in terms of the actual US market, so were you obviously serving that or focusing on that before you went over in 2015? So how long have you been operating and doing business in, in sure. the States?
1: So I guess in terms of the state, so I, I got into crypto and blockchain super early. So I'm talking 2013, I was hiring mostly across fintech companies in the UK and Europe, saw a gap in the market, started reaching out to companies in San Francisco and LA, which is where most of the hubs were. So a lot of them were, were uh, raising tons of money, didn't see many competitors and was doing that for a while of kind of reaching out to companies, still had UK customers and, and was, had a small team in, in the UK there. But when I started to see the, kind of the, the salary ranges and, and the money that these people had, I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I need to kind of get some momentum here. And within 18 months, I, I ended up yeah, moving over to the US. So I think I put up a message on LinkedIn and someone that I used to work with was actually in Toronto and looking to move over to California. So set up the company with him over there and had a small team that didn't work out for various reasons within like 12, 18 months and uh, decided to yeah kind of move away from that. But yeah, it was, it was in LA. I actually wanted to move to San Francisco. My wife wanted to live in LA. We chose LA probably more for the sun, but also if I was going to be hiring recruiters over from the UK, which we did, it's probably a better place for people to be based just because of the sun. And it's probably slightly cheaper than San Francisco.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay. So been, so basically being something that, that means you've been operating, doing business, all these types of things for, what's that new? What, seven years then?
1: exactly yeah
0: yeah okay cool amazing and then final thing that just be useful what what did you do turnover wise last year last financial year uh,
1: i think we're like 12 15, 12 to 13 million
0: okay awesome so like what, what i love about this i'm so excited to get your thoughts on this in terms of like how you've evolved uh your business in in the american market and these things because a lot of people are just starting this or in their first year right so let's firstly just focus on more on like traction so what I mean by that on like you building a brand there doing business there and building a loyal loyal client base all these types of things and then let's then segue into how Jason has gone about building a recruitment business over there the culture how you've attracted people and those things so when it comes to I guess the the traction side of things I guess the the first thing that would just be good to get your perspective on was like yeah what what the go-to-market strategy look like so I guess like, I think obviously you said that you were doing, you're reaching out to people while she was in the UK and then you went over there. But, like, what was thinking back? And then I'm going to ask you what you would do differently, but how did you approach it? What was a go to market strategy then in 2015 or before or around then? So, uh, I think
1: it, it doesn't really change from, from one market to the next, in my personal opinion. I've always had a great network, always been able to kind of pick up business at conferences or, or whatever. But really specking out candidates is how people grow markets, especially kind of when I was initially kind of reaching out to crypto companies. Like I said, I saw a lot of these companies raising and was working with a ton of people. So it wasn't really any of the clients that I picked up were UK clients who had just set up in the US. It was more me doing the old BD methods that I used to do and picked up clients that way, but in the US.
0: Okay, fair enough. And then from what you know now about the market, anything you do differently. Does that still work? I know there's not like a silver bullet, but if you're um, speaking to someone about growing a desk from scratch in the U.S. now, what what would be the sort of strategy? What would be some of the key things that you think would be key to to make sure that it's successful or you have the best chance of it being successful?
1: I think that's a part of it. I think if you look at the the people that we have here in Teletech, uh, you'll see a lot of our recruiters generally have like five to 15 years of it. Of recruiting experience, so with that, generally comes with people that have been building markets over the last five to fifteen years. Still, specking works, going to conferences works, uh, but generally we have a, we work with a lot of VCs and we plug in there. So we have a lot of inbound coming into us from referrals from VCs, referrals from some of the founders. One of our clients who I worked as worked in back in 2014, um, he was like a 20-year-old kid, uh, Stanford dropout. His company, I think, has raised over $900 hundred in now Series E uh, valuation. Oh, wow. And, and he's, I think he's on the Forbes list of like one of the top five billionaires in the world right now. And we've hired for tons of his companies. He keeps on doing intros. So it's stuff like that. A lot of these people are super, super smart that we work with in the US. So Y Combinator-esque and people from Harvard, Stanford, etc., who some of the brightest kind of brains out there. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of come just down to the growth that we've had and just from our name being around for so long. I think a lot of people kind of like to work with people that they know or have been referred more so maybe in the in the US than in the UK.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You touched on that a bit on there, but like for people listening, let's be really frank and honest here. Like it takes time to be in a position where someone like that is is making consistent introductions it takes you proving and delivering how good your service is these things but i guess from your experience for people listening that want to get into that position where they've got some really good relationships or people that refer them that back that they're someone that they should be speaking to what are the principles to get into that point if I'm someone that wants to be yeah getting in front of these VCS and, and building a relationship and getting these people to refer me to companies that I can support like what are the principles to to get into that point where I'm then being the person that they consistently refer I think
1: under promise and over deliver
0: I, I kind okay. of often go back to that and not saying you can do something if you
1: can't because people kind of quickly get found out in the market and mm. I live and die by that kind of often and, and certainly with the amount of work that we that we take on. It's great if you pick up a client, but if you can't deliver into it, it doesn't really matter because they're never going to kind of come back and use you. So uh, I think the way that we generally work and we use a lot of tech and automation to help do our work, but with uh, with the majority of our clients, we have Slack channels with them. We're not just plugging in and just putting kind of resumes onto a database. We have weekly sync ups, we have Slack messaging with them. So it's it's definitely more of a modern approach, which I've learned over the years. It did definitely didn't start that way, but with a lot of people hiring on mass, like yeah, it's it's kind of definitely needed.
0: Okay, interesting. So I guess from all the things that you've learned, it might just be second nature now. But did you uh, operate in UK Europe markets before? Yeah. So like, what? I'm sure you like talk to people about this if you're hiring people from the UK and maybe haven't done US before. But what what would you say that like the main nuances that maybe? you have to maybe learn the hard way or pick up on when it comes to like doing business and being successful in the UK compared to the US, do you think? So,
1: yeah, I think it's just a slightly different market. I think some people kind of go to the UK or oh, sorry, go to the US and expect it to be very similar when it depends on the area that you focus on. And we tended to go to California first. A lot of people go to New York first and it's quite similar to London, quite maybe, maybe more difficult to kind of get into because there's lots of recruiters that are, that are in office, they can go to more kind of client meetings, and you can build relationships there. So I think just in terms of the way you approach the market, and I think, yeah, just utilising some of the experience you have in the UK, getting used to having lots of lots more rejected offers. Uh, because I think generally, uh, with the markets that we operate in, you're working high fees, but it also there's more companies, more opportunities for kind of people to kind of go elsewhere. A lot of I had one recruiter come over, and his first twelve offers was were, was rejected. First twelve, all twelve. First twelve were rejected when one and oh two used God. to go in. Yeah,
0: why is it? Why is that?
1: Just was a bit unlucky. But sometimes, <laughs> like you need to go through some of that yeah, in order to kind of come, and, and it's all about having that resistance because. Someone who, someone else could kind of quite easily go into that, and then just be like, "This isn't for me. I'm going to go back and just focus on the UK."
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Keen to get into some granulars here, and then I want to talk about how you've gone about growing this business. Mm -hmm. So, just some common things that I always get asked, or or that people are interested in. So, when I know that this isn't your entire recruitment business and, and the service that you provide, but just to be helpful, what what are you? Don't have to give me the exact number, but typically, what terms would you expect to? to sign and, and agree on with, with customers, sure. is it in the 25, 30, 35%, like what we're talking, what have you typically seen? This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning source Now I think it's safe to say that right now the market is crazy. Continue to hear people saying, never seen the market like it. And I continue to speak to recruiters who are inundated with jobs. Which is why I'm not surprised that the number one word that I'm always hearing at the moment is automation. And if you're looking at how you can enable your teams to spend more time on what they're brilliant at building relationships, speaking to people, then you need to look at Sourcebreaker. It's helped countless recruitment companies scale more quickly, enable their younger recruits and their rookies to get better more quickly and automate a whole lot of the the work that a lot of recruiters are probably not so good at and the work that, that maybe they don't enjoy as much. Because you listen to this podcast, you're gonna be able to get an exclusive discount on the SourceBreaker product. So if you have not already, get a demo booked in with SourceBreaker, use the link in the show notes, you will not regret it. If you're thinking about that word automation in 2022, you need to consider SourceBreaker.
1: Definitely, recently, like twenty five, thirty percent on contingent. Uh, we'll see yeah. what happens with the market. Kind of, it may go, may drop down to twenty percent. But typically, like because of the referrals, we can, yeah, twenty five is probably the standard. Yeah, we we have, yeah, we've signed a lot of clients up at thirty percent recently. But yeah, I'd say that those are definitely the
0: norm. Yeah, people are always interested in that. And then, obviously, I know it's all relative. But then, obviously, salaries like and the fee opportunity then tends to be bigger.
1: Yeah, so just on that, I think in terms of the salaries typically that we're hiring people, um, it's probably 140 to 400k base salary. And in terms of fees, typically our fees are like, I think average this year is like 42, but I think typically between 40 and 110.
0: I think be like like the typical um, average deal size.
1: Yeah, but we also do a lot of RPOs, as you mentioned. Yeah, we also do a lot of retained work as well. So I think not a one size fits all with certain clients, and sometimes we have a a mixture of RPO plus contingency. So we're getting double whammy.
0: Um, Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now, thanks for sharing that because that's always like typical things that people ask, right? And I think. Look, what would you think about? I I see it in a different way, but I've definitely seen a few people like communicate online how they feel that US, doing recruitment in the US is also being perceived that it's like easier than the UK. I don't perceive it that way, but like I don't know. What do you say about that?
1: I wouldn't say it's easier. It's definitely different, but yeah, I I don't know about that.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think people are making it out like that. For for me personally, the conversation that I'm having is like it's just as hard like it's it's just as difficult there's there just as many challenges, however, the thing that why people are getting excited by it, the main things that I hear and you let me know sort of what what you feel about it is one the actual rewards in terms of like all the effort that you put in is potentially twenty fifty percent larger in terms of the fees and these things absolutely then it comes down to like. Like We've all been there, right? The US, particularly the UK recruitment market is so fucking saturated and it is really competitive. That isn't going to entirely go away in the US, but there's so, it's just so much more vast. So in yeah, terms of yeah. like, always coming up against the same people, you might obviously miss that. And then, and then also th- this real reputation around the recruitment industry and staffing, it's just entirely different to the UK or Europe where recruiters are seen as dirt on the shoe, potentially. Right? They're just some of the common things that I continue to hear, which is why people were excited about this opportunity. It's not that it's easier, in, in my view. I think the one big
1: difference is that I look at the UK and the US and at university in the UK, most people fall into recruitment. No one says uh, before university they want to get into recruitment. Sure. It's always falling into recruitment. In the US, people see recruitment recruitment as careers and they look at the whole piece of coming in as a someone to help schedule and then they get into a trainee recruiter, into a recruiter role. Then they go down, either look at recruitment, which is usually sourcing side, and then the sales part that they call the business development side. So, uh, And then you can go to internal stuff. So it's, it's seen as a career. And people want to get into it before university. I think that's probably a big difference. But also the crazy like numbers that people are doing and the crazy funding rounds. Like you look at like a Series A or a Series B company in the UK, that may be 20, 30 million. In the US, it's it's often 50, yeah,
0: 200 million. Scat, yeah. yeah,
1: they've got more money to play with. The VCs are vast. And that's probably a, a, a big reason why... The funding and, uh, yeah, the hiring is a lot more than in the UK.
0: Okay. And then and then before we go into you in terms of growing this business, I guess may, this might be sort of come under this category, but I guess a real common strategy that I continue to hear and talk to people about is incubating it from the UK trying to build traction then going over there what's your thoughts on this again I guess there's no perfect way of doing it but if you're sitting down right now speaking to other recruitment entrepreneurs that that see the potential in their markets in the US what, what would your strategy be or what would you be speaking to them about that you feel would give them the best chance of building a successful team and, and part of their business there? Would it be doing business first in the UK and then going over there? What do you think?
1: Good question. I think there's there's a lot of companies that seem to just incubate and you can't tell on LinkedIn that those companies that say they're based in certain locations versus not because, yeah, I mean, I, I think
0: my LinkedIn actually says LA still, so I probably need to change that. <laughs> yeah, people change So It's the first thing they change, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So I think that you need to have a plan and you need to have a strategy. The hardest things is doing the hours from here, and a lot of people don't want to do the West Coast, where personally there's more business there. So they go and take the East Coast, and I think it's saturated of UK recruiters that want to do the, the do the East Coast but won't, yeah, won't do the West Coast hours. So they just stick to kind of East Coast companies, uh, where a lot of our clients kind of generally hire remotely anyway. So I think you just need a plan to be there. You need to speak to good lawyers and if it ends up kind of going from okay it's going to be three months it ends up being 18 months down the line but you're seeing traction get people out earlier and that's the best way like i think it's it's, it's definitely hard for people that they're moving into a new so they, they they join a, a new company and they've got a new company new surroundings and yeah kind of just starting from scratch and not knowing the market so i think it's always good to try and move one of those kind of metrics and. If they can be settled in a company, understand the markets from the UK and then move over there once they've got some traction, that's definitely the way that I did it. I would probably do it again if I, if I could. But yeah, but I, I guess a lot of people what, do. What, do is it, what, what
0: sort of traction would you be looking for? Like out of interest, would you be looking at the billings and the performance on that side before you go over there? You're looking at signed terms of clients. What sort of traction would you be looking at?
1: A mixture of them all. Um, I think... If you're based here and I'm working up a role up against you, say you're in the UK, I was in the US and I, I'm working the right hours and I've got five hours ahead to kind of focus on people working can how to take calls, nine times out of 10, I'm probably going to beat you to, to kind of uh, hiring for that client because I'm, I'm on the right time zone. So um, I think if you're trying to get everyone in, in office, trying to do the US hours, it's tough. I've been there. I've done it for a while. moved over i was in the u.s for five years but i'm I'm there frequently and usually every eight to ten weeks i'm in the u.s still so um i still kind of still work on those time zones most of the time because it's tough certainly doing
0: kind of west coast from the uk and what what do you think about like ideal situation that you have sort of first people on the ground that you've built trust with, you've built relationships with from the UK. Have you ever had the experiences of like, I know you had a bit of an experience where you hire someone that's experienced that is a first person on the ground. Like, how do you feel about that? Because it seems for a lot of people that I speak to ideal scenarios, they, the people that are the first on the ground is the people that they understand the culture. They've been part of the UK business. They've been doing it there and they've just got that trust element. Whereas it might be a bit more difficult if I'm looking for someone like Jason that's got five years of experience that can open up our US function. What what do you feel like think about that?
1: I used to think the the former, but I actually think the latter. I think if you're gonna be focused in the US, you, you should have your first person on the ground should be a US person rather than okay. trying to move over a UK person into a new into a new sector i'd hire from a competitor and have them being the first person would be my preference rather than just having someone that knows the culture etc
0: why is that you said you used to think the the former but why has that changed i don't
1: know because because i i think i at times i've had uk recruiters we are a us company after all and you should be hiring predominantly us people because uh, that's what's going to grow the company it's it's difficult and you add different elements if you have to have someone that needs to, to have a visa, they may not like it. They may miss home. So they have to kind of come back. So I think I used to think the the former because of that. And now I would probably hire US people for US jobs most of the time if I could. Interesting.
0: Yeah, okay. So let let's talk about how you've gone about growing this company then and and, and built the business that 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 you have. Like you obviously you've had some dramatic growth during the COVID period, like nearly almost doubled. Was that always the plan to grow a business like this? Did it sort of organically happen? It's
1: more organically. I think we could have grown prior to that. I think we're just very cautious with not taking in any investment on and hiring the right people, keeping that culture. Yeah, we definitely grew during COVID uh, like most recruiters. I think it's just down to demand, to be honest. Uh, We were inundated and it was probably rough for a month or so with companies kind of like, deciding where their focus was going to be we always have more than enough clients that we can kind of work on we lost on on a few different projects because they just got kind of uh, canned but we've always had a great team that does new business and we're always generating new clients so i think we were quite fortunate with the clients that we were working with and they just pivoted and yeah it allowed everyone to work remotely which is great
0: and so what, what's interesting about your strategy is that you you Do you only hire experienced people or typically hire experienced recruiters?
1: That's the model that we've kind of gone after recently.
0: What's recently? Talking about last two years?
1: Probably over the last like, yeah, two and a half, three years. And I think if you look at the tenure over the last two to five years, we haven't lost people to other agencies. We may have lost a couple to internal kind of companies, but we've been able to have that core team that we've kind of trusted and who've been able to kind of help scale that even during a, even during kind of COVID times when people are remote. So yeah, typically we've hired people with experience and it's not like we're, we're we're going back to an office. We have offices if people want to use them. We meet up really regularly. So we do a big Christmas and summer party. I was in New York last week with the team. Uh, we do big incentives and then people go out and meet. So we've got like hubs of people in Atlanta, in Washington, in LA, in Miami, but we hire experience. Some of our best performers are working parents, which I know probably a lot of the people that you're speaking to, Uh, as soon as people have a kid they kind of back off somewhat
0: I think that's changing I think I think in terms of like changing yeah in a good way yeah I think previously when yeah you were building your career I think it would have been like oh I've got to now choose raising my family over my career and these things but I think like you said around the work from home and companies being way more flexible I think that's completely being put on its head so just I'm, I'm really, really curious about this then. So so a couple of things. So j- just to clarify, so when you say experience, what we're talking here, like, like five years, decade, like typically, I know, there's not gonna be a perfect amount, but typically what we're talking and what range of experience?
1: Sure, I'd say probably three to 20 years of recruitment experience. Okay,
0: cool. So talk me through, I speak to so many recruitment leaders that say, I don't want to hire experienced people, because I have a come with bad traits, bad habits, they can't unlearn them. What do you think about that?
1: I agree to a certain point, but I think a lot of people just need to be in the in the right environment to succeed. And a lot of people have come in and, and almost like retrained and have done incredibly well. So I think a lot of the the junior people with no experience need handholding. We've had some incredible people that that have just come in and done really well who are super junior. But I think we have a different mentality and, and we work with people. And we use a lot of tools and automation, as I mentioned earlier, and um, it works. And we have a balance of the type of clients that we work with from stealth mode companies to uh, post and pre IPO kind of companies. So I think, yeah, just because people have had uh, a lot of experience doesn't mean to say that, yeah, they can add a lot of value with the experience that, that comes with that.
0: I'm sure you may have had to learn this the hard way, but I guess what things would you typically look for in an interview I- environment that may be red flags that might indicate that I might join your business, Jason, I've got this experience. However, I really am someone that is unwilling to learn or not willing to take things on board. Like anything that you've become really good at looking out for or non-negotiable for you?
1: I think egos, um, probably probably the biggest thing. And if for me, like I can... As much as I may be able to work with them, if the team doesn't and if they give a a thumbs down to them, then we're not going to hire them. So it all comes down to, for us, like building the right culture and the rest will sort itself out. And yeah, that's probably the main red flag. Job hopping, you can say a little bit. Just ego. Yeah, I'd say the yeah,
0: coming in with a massive ego. How do you, um, like, what are we looking for here? Like just in terms of just the way that they come across just in terms of some of the things saying like I-
1: yeah its just it just if you can't have a beer or drink with them, well they're not going to fit into our environment but we have a really experienced kind of recruiting team and we get together and and yeah if if, if they don't like that person for whatever reason then we're not going to hire them so i think i know it's hard to kind of point it out it's just something that the team manages to to kind of yeah figure out and i think Probably another thing for us. Like if people are looking for an office environment, that's not us right now. So we don't hire them because it's not like we're going to be going into an office uh, or the team. That's that's not the type of people.
0: This is the other thing that I really want to get your thoughts on. You're saying that what you are and what you're not. Like you said, you're flexible. You give people the autonomy, their experience. you give them the opportunity to retrain and, and learn and improve. How are you approaching that learning and and those things with these people remotely? How are you approaching that? Because I don't think anyone's cracked this and and it's difficult. This podcast is proudly partnered with VinCherry. Now, you should know by now that they are on the quest and their vision and mission is to be and become the operating system for growing recruitment companies. Well, you may or may not have seen, but I'm here to tell you that they've recently added another fantastic piece of kit to their overall amazing system. It's called Vineo. You can probably guess what it is. A lot of you, and for the last two or so years, have probably accelerated your use of video. So having a tool which is seamlessly in your uh, CRM, what you use every day to prospect candidates, prospect clients to use video in in your interview process, it's just going to make your life a whole lot easier. So just another amazing reason why you need to check out VinCherry. If you're looking for an all-in-one platform, the operating system that you need as you scale your recruitment business, then you have to consider VinCherry. Use the link in the show notes. Because you're a recruitment mentors listener, you will get an exclusive discount and price. So use that link and you will not regret it.
1: It definitely is difficult. And I think you won't have to be on the ball. And we've just brought on board a, a learning and training manager who's someone that's been with us for the last four years as a senior recruiter. And then she moved into a principal recruiter and then she moved to an RPO. And now she's coming back as our full-time trainer. So we're constantly doing training with people to upskill.
0: What does that actually look like? we're doing like weekly zoom sessions have we we got a slack channel that we can share what we're doing
1: yeah like we're we're always on slack so we're we're a slack first kind of company and we often share stuff on different channels around training and i do a lot of the training as well so that can definitely be done you don't need to be in a classroom i think there's certain aspects that if you're in a a classroom or an office um, and you can look around when people doing closing calls i think that's definitely a benefit of being in office but we're definitely used to kind of giving people autonomy we can tell if people are working or they're not working so it's a constant thing that you always need to look out for but everyone needs to be constantly kind of trained and going through different scenarios because the market's continuously involved
0: what's been the approach on then like productivity activity in, in this sort of remote setting is it just are you very much like outcomes based like look if the, like if you get this done i don't get how you do it whatever hours like well, what's been the approach on that front has it been very sort of freeing on on that sense as well and less structured
1: uh, it's, it's definitely not less structured like people haven't like should know how many profiles that or how many reach outs they need to do in order to get x amount of candidates that, that equate to x amount of interviews that equate to x amount of offers so we know those numbers and it varies based on. Uh, experience of the of the recruiter versus the market that they're working in so people know those metrics and should know we constantly remind people okay if you're just recruiting and you're just putting people into a search and they're having calls here's the number that we expect you to kind of be at on a daily basis if it's flagged that people aren't doing it then we start looking into the finer details of stuff but we give people trust and we have slack channels for all of various clients so we can tell people that are working and people that aren't
0: yeah okay interesting and then What about like when we spoke about this and like obviously you seem really passionate about the culture you said there around like really protecting that culture and not hiring people that you think could potentially damage that culture. What are like, I'm just trying to understand like, what are some of the non-negotiables that you might do? You mentioned the summer party, the Christmas, but on a weekly, daily, monthly basis, what, what are you doing that you think is impacting and creating this culture? Like, are you doing weekly wrap-ups with it? Like, what are you doing that really you feel helps continue to build that culture in, the, in a remote environment? Because I think that's also difficult. Like, what does that look like?
1: So, Tuesdays, we do weekly spin class. A lot of us are Peloton, so we do that. Uh, we have weekly yoga class. We we do we do a lot of games with the team. But a lot of a lot of the people like a lot of us play COD. Uh, that's how I hired someone via COD from someone that was referred. Um, really. So yeah yeah it, yeah. I spoke to him like a couple of years ago, and <laughs> the first time I spoke to him was playing Call of Duty. The guys got me into <laughs> it kind of during uh, during COVID, and uh, yeah, each their own. That's but, interesting. Yeah, I think it's just just having that morale, and and a lot of the, the team that's been with us since we were, when we were in, in office in LA, when we were four days a week there, has kind of been felt that me and Gary, um, as business owners, we're more like people's friends rather than business owners. And we've had a lot of referrals from people that have worked for different companies and we have a lot of internal, we've got an internal team as well. So I, I think just naturally like treating people with respect, always looking to go above and beyond, giving them the best benefits out there, giving them the best commission structures out there um giving them a platform like we're a very diverse team and that's super important for us super important for a lot of the clients that we work with and they see that and they want to be a part of it
0: and then what about again going a bit granular here but just just curious like what's what's the sort of approach when it comes to to management remotely are we just doing like weekly one-on-ones all done on video again is that just all done in that way as well the same way but this all over video
1: it's all done via video but again we have like we we sync with the different teams um engineering go-to-market data science and energy on a every monday wednesday friday but we're constantly going back and forward on slack like I've, I've muted my slack but i can already see all the slack messages that kind of come through uh okay. just in a in, in a short space of time so yeah we jump on calls with people but again we give people people we know the searches and you don't need to to always speak to people on a daily basis we have a lot of recruiters with families and kids and they've got different times that, that, that different people work but people get it done and often you'll send people someone a slack message and they'll get back straight away so okay it's easy to jump on and hop on calls with people
0: now uh, thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm just super curious about this like i'm sure obviously you're sick to death of seeing all the work from home things and all that on linkedin but i, d- I just find it so interesting like how people are approaching it
1: yeah it works with different environments some people want to be in an office that's not the direction that we're going in definitely not right now and we still managed to meet up and it's still a great uh, culture and environment.
0: So so you mentioned there around like just building a great culture so people refer people but what's been some of the most successful effective ways for you to to grow this business from an internal hiring point with American um, people and American recruiters like what's worked on that side?
1: Uh, I think it's just uh, a a lot of the events that we're doing and going to like incredible locations for incentives I think um Seeing, seeing the growth that we've had, not having to report to investors and telling the story. So I'm often front and center. I'm the first call that people have. I still do a lot of reach outs. Probably about 80% of the, the people that we've hired have come through my own network. We work for a few direct uh, to kind of companies, but I make sure that I'm 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 there and, and, and I do those initial calls. Being proactive.
0: Do you not have an internal recruiter?
1: We have internal recruiters, but if it's more attractive to people to that I reach out to them, first if I have the time. So I still prioritise time in order to do that uh, because, yeah, I have internal recruiters, but they may not respond to those internal recruiters and they may respond to me. Yeah, so I, I definitely make sure that I, I, I'm I pushing on that side.
0: And I've spoke to, obviously, look, typical UK model, right? Lower base, high comms. Like I spoke to a few people based in the US where they thought they might be able to have that approach in the US, but that didn't really work in terms of what they just found is that obviously you can go into a corporate recruitment career where the base is, is way more higher maybe less comms if in a, like an internal recruitment role but like, how how's that what do you think about that is is that something that people need to be mindful of that they might not be able to like expect to hire people with like that same sort of like base salary comm split are they gonna have to put more into the base like I found that out quite a lot from speaking to people that they're quite surprised with the bases that people would expect
1: yeah I think that the market's always continuously evolving and Yeah, some people want to go into an internal recruitment role, but I personally think there's no better time to be an external recruiter right now because there's so many jobs. Obviously, you're you're seeing in the market that a lot of internals are getting cut from small to large companies, just down to the market conditions. So I, I think there's definitely experience from both sides, both an agency versus internal roles. But I think the the chance to work in specific areas and work with multiple clients is, is very attractive to people and yeah we may lose a couple of recruiters to internal roles but we kind of expect that but yeah like it just depends on the personality of the the certain recruiter and what stage of their career that they're at
0: have you found my first recruitment job I was on a 20k base Right, and oh, then yeah. it was common. I think so I was like 18, yeah. Yeah, so like I was, in the, I was just going to ask you, that's really common, right? So as you said, it's a career in the US. It's something that people want to get into. But what I found is when I've spoken to people that started their careers in the UK or started their business in the UK and then went to the States is that they haven't had as much success or it's been as effective on like, Jason, yeah, I want to offer you a job for my company. I'm going to give you a, a much lower base and comms. That didn't quite play out. That's what I was just curious about.
1: Uh, okay, fine. Yeah, I think that people know the, need to know the costings of the US because it's expensive to hire people, people at higher base, the minimum. Yeah, the lowest I think that we're on is like 45, 50K on a on, on a base salary and that goes kind of up and up and up. So I think, yeah, it's expensive. And then if you, you put on top of that, a lot of companies pay 401K. A lot of people have, we have 100% health that's covered. Um, if you don't offer that, to recruiters, then going to struggle, yeah, you're just going to struggle to kind of get. You're going to struggle to get people, and that can, I think, with that's about $350, 400 dollars per person per month. Um, if they have a family, it's more. So yeah, there's stuff on top of that that kind of eats into your top line that you wouldn't have to do in the UK. So I think you need to be mindful over the experience that you're looking to hire, and and also kind of target the right locations, and you may want to avoid like San Francisco, New York, and some of those more expensive cities out there in order to kind of find people that are maybe more reasonable with what you're looking for.
0: And then, you know, like you said, that you've got people in all these different hubs. Mm-hmm. Like obviously there's so many positives of being able to hire people remotely in different areas, but like how, like, it's just so vast, isn't it? Like you can also just get lost. Like, where do we start? So like, have you purposely tried to have little hubs or like look in particular states or cuz like there could be so many different places that you could find people like how do you focus you know
1: yeah so i think initially we started in la um yeah. i think today we're in like 14 different states across the us the states have just organically kind of grown but yeah we we kind of because of the clients that we work with and a lot of the searches that we do like i think covid opened my eyes and ears to the types of people that we could hire and yeah like the time zones are kind of Trying to figure out everyone's time zone can be challenging, but I think don't always go for people in certain states and try and avoid those expensive states if you can. But it depends. If if you're hiring remotely, it shouldn't it shouldn't matter to you. If you're hiring in for a specific location, then yeah, you're probably going to have to pay a premium.
0: Yeah, not interesting. So a couple couple final things, and then let's wrap this up by just talking a bit about what what you're excited about, what what's on the agenda. I guess we could end up talking about this for a while to be fair, but I wanted to ask you, like, do you think if I'm a UK recruitment business owner right now and typically how I worked with people in the UK is on a like contingent exclusive basis? I might be doing a little bit of retained, but I'm mainly working with people on an exclusive basis. Do you think I'll be really missing a trick if I don't have any other sort of solution in the US? Because I think when we spoke, what I thought was interesting was how you said that the hiring projects and opportunities typically with US company, not all the work, all, all the time, is that you might speak to a US company, they're like, look, Jason, over the next twelve months we want to hire 30 to 50 people, but maybe a UK or Europe based business, they might be saying five to fifteen. Do you get what I mean? So like do you I guess what I'm trying to ask you is you know, obviously you do like RPOs retained, do you think like people really need to think about what solutions and products they can bring? to the US market if if they want to be more successful there? Is that really important, or could I just go over there and just sell exclusivity and just work contingent? What do you think?
1: I'm not a fan of exclusivity, but yeah, you could definitely do that um, if you wanted to. I think you evolve with the companies that that, that you're reaching out to, and and I think a one-size-fits-all approach of just going down the contingent where looking at like different add-ons can definitely help. I look at a scenario that we had when I moved the business from, like, 2016 to mainly focus on the US. And another company that that I have Venture, uh, was a guy that I I used to work with and trained up. And they focus now on the UK and and European because we were kind of dipping our toes in the water with some of those clients. But I needed to move away because our, f- our focus for Intellitech and Intellitech Energy was purely on the US because that's where we were getting a lot of traction. So I think in terms of having different services, so often we're referring clients that me we've got in the US that are looking to open up their first like European or UK office and doing intros from that side and, and vice versa. And it w- works really well. But I think that, yeah, I think to go over it in, the, in the US where people want to work with you, they see you more as a valued long term partner definitely you should be selling retainers if you can. But selling a retainer isn't always the most profitable stuff to do. So you need to kind of consider that sometimes working at 25-30% on contingent is actually better, It's less hassle, and you actually make more money. So there have been times where certain projects that we've done actually haven't panned out. And we wish that we just stuck to a contingency agreement. So it's not the be all and end all.
0: But I guess I think what what you said there that I've sort of really underlined and thought is like evolve with the customers that you're supporting and partnering with. I think that's the best way to approach it, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of I'm
1: not having a one,
0: maybe not having a one size fits all and thinking about what those things are, but then evolving with what you're asked for, how you're helping companies.
1: Exactly. We've worked with a lot of clients that have gone from series A to series E. Uh, or from series d to to ipo and have sold the company so there's different iterations that kind of come with that and sometimes they need you sometimes they pause for six months because they're building an internal team and then they come back to you so i think it's it's you've just got to try and think one step ahead and always be selling to your clients and sometimes it may not be the right time and that may be be best and, and then go and look for other business so yeah it definitely goes full circle
0: Okay. And then I have to ask you, because this is one of the common things I always get as well, before we finish, is what are like must-have tech tools? I know you said a lot about automation. Don't, don't want to give you all the secret sauce away, but I always hear about Zoom Info. That's one that I always hear. What tools would you be, you're like, you know what, definitely check these out for the American market, would be most effective. What what are we saying?
1: Don't want to give away all the keys to the castle
0: here. <laughs> um... Yeah, but mate, you can have all the tools, but it's about how you use them. Hundred uh, percent.
1: So, zoom what info. Were you uh, zoom info. I had um, a while back. We use it now for energy, but we're less of a kind of trying to make fifty to hundred calls uh, and more kind of automation. So I'm a big believer in automation, and I often say to the team that if something, if a task takes more than two minutes, you need to be automating it. I've used like products like Talent Beam, which was acquired by Monster a number of years back, super early. We use a, a tool called Reply, which is I think very similar to Sourcewell uh email automation is amazing for what we do and yeah we use stuff like contact out we've got a few other different tools that we use but i'd rather keep those on the wraps
0: Um, (laughs) wait so you said reply i've never heard of that reply.io reply.io yeah. What was the other one? I'm not I'm not going to get you to say all of them, but what was the other one? you said content. Uh, the
1: other one was called Talent Bin. It, it was acquired by Monster and, and it's not as good as it was, but I used it super early. But often um, I have a lot of connections in the VC world and a lot of them kind of come out and want me to test like new tools. So we get like first dibs on a lot of stuff before yeah, it goes decent. to market, which is definitely super helpful.
0: Yeah. OK, nice. Love that. Now, I appreciate you sharing that. So what's on the horizon for you guys then as, as we come to an end here obviously had some really exciting growth like have you got obviously recently invested in obviously the, the energy brand which, which is really exciting that's coming up to the first year like what, what are you excited about what, what what have you got top of mind over the next 6-12 months of all the things that's going on like what yeah how are you feeling about things?
1: Sure so it's definitely an interesting time for the market and yeah we'll see what happens there but uh, we're opening up a couple of new areas. So we're going to be hiring for the government and government agencies. Uh, we're just going through our final approval of that. Also um, in the market and doing like latter stage interviews for opening up a life sciences division, uh, which is super oh, nice. excited about that. Energy is a big area of our growth. So probably expect the team to be five to eight by the end of the year. And then just continuing to to kind of uh, grow the team and work with the team, develop nice. people. Yeah.
0: And... You enjoying the journey? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah? for sure. I mean, I've never worked harder in my life than right now, but yeah, super proud of the team and, and we've got some incredible kind of targets to hit and yeah, hopefully the market stay buoyant, which I fully expect it to. And yeah, kind of trying to knuckle down and crush it and a few different initiatives that we're looking to kind of do a few more incentive trips that are in the works so yeah love
0: it where's home for you where would you call home out of interest right
1: now northwest london bushy
0: which if, but like if, what would you call what would you call home is it america is it la is it uk london like do you know what i mean because you've been in a few different places mate
1: yeah um
0: i was just curious i'd
1: like to say i'm, no, I'm a nomad but i guess my wife would kill me if i said <laughs> really? i'm a
0: nomad
1: yeah probably so um, okay you
0: don't like being attached to anywhere
1: yeah, I, know. I guess now that my, my eldest who's four is starting school, probably the UK, but we, we, we go back and and I travel quite frequently anyway. So yeah, didn't want to move back from the US, but was kind of forced to during COVID because my wife was pregnant with our second and haven't kind of gone back. Relocated, moved the dog over, which is a hassle. But I'm still there, kind of frequently. And
0: yeah, like, no, I was just, I was just curious because obviously you've been in different parts of the world, you know. Yeah, so I wasn't sure what you would deem as home.
1: Yeah, sometimes I'm not sure either. Um, half the
0: time, <laughs> but as you can probably could probably tell. Wait, by and you, and you wait, you got you got the dog all the way from the US to the UK. Yes. Fuck.
1: Yeah yeah
0: that must have been oh my god some journey that
1: luckily i wasn't in la to see that kind of happen um one of the guys was living in my house and yeah that was horrible to kind of think of kind of him being on a plane during covid um but yeah we managed to get him back um, and he was he's he's been part of the furniture because he used to always be in the office
0: (laughs) really love that well um Look, Jason thank you so much for joining me Thank you for being really honest sharing a lot of things I know a lot of people find this conversation really helpful and and useful so kudos to you on on everything that you've built so far I'm sure there's plenty more to come but look Jason really appreciate your time and and thanks for for joining me on, on on the podcast thanks for having me on Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast,